Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Comedy Fitness Podcast. Student Dudettes, how are you? This is where we laugh our ass off. We bring down, we bring together comedy and fitness. Floating on a boat right now, as I am a lot. Right now, today, we are talking with Dan Mangini, an old friend from Atlanta who knew me when I was a baby comic. That's right, and, man. We yeah, used, you did. We used to call you, uh, you're Don Gray now? You're, yeah. We, you know, I call you DKG. Basically. I had 18 names. Dino Keith Gray. There was a big push for me to be blacker and to uh-huh. go by DKG. Uh, yeah. right. DKG, in fact, Comedy Zone was like Len, really? Len, Len. I think he was sober, and Len goes, "Man, you should go by DKG." And I'm like, "Have you seen my act? I'm not really a DKG, Snoopy Snoop, right? Shorty, Shorty." What? Up? I guess you the know, lingo is you're niggers, um, you're more mainstream, right? Uh, I'm whitewashed. I'm I was I grew up in the suburbs, and uh, I'm pretty mainstream. Like I, I'm black because I get uh, pulled over and stuff, but I'm a neo negro. I'm what? Black well, I mean, there's there's what there's it's uh you know we've talked about this before, you know black white. It's just uh, cultural differences. We yeah. all kind of grow up in the same place the same neighborhoods a lot too but you know things are just different uh speaking of which you grew up in stone mountain yeah i was a minority in my yeah. high school you're the white chip i was uh about 20 percent white 70 percent um black but mm-hmm. yeah i wouldn't change it you know yeah because when you do what we do uh you know you just uh, have the ability to communicate with people because a lot of the you know your uh, your upbringing like you said you're you're whitewashed right yeah. and there's I, mean, it's, I grew up in a neighborhood full of jewish kids you grew up in a neighborhood with all black so you, you have a different look on other you know other cultures like for instance stone mountain la jamaicans well, now there is, oh. right? It wasn't, I mean, this is, um, you know, it wasn't like I grew up in um, a tremendously violent environment or things oh, like God, that. Oh, God, I don't think there are black people who could afford to live next to you. So. Well, yeah, I yeah. mean, middle class. Yeah. But no. um, anyway, diverse, diverse background, you know, growing up. My best friends uh, still till this day is a Korean kid. So, you know, I had the Asian Isn't your ex, Johnny Wu, too. Johnny Wu. David Wu. David Wu, David Wu, David yeah. Wu. Professional gambler? Uh yeah, yeah, dude, that's a great gig. Come on, it's tough. You know, he's a professional poker player, and you've got to have a mind for it, just like this. What we do, that sounds harder than what we do, actually, because at least there's somewhat of a path to what we do, and we got to hang out in comedy clubs and meet other comics. I haven't met any other professional poker players. It's a uh, well, I mean, it's you know what? Funny enough, they parallel each other a lot. Mm. Well, you know what? Poker more parallels the acting side of our business than it does the stand up. I think stand up, um, if you're good at it. You know, um, then there's more uh, security in it. It's more yeah. consistent. We have control and, of what we say. And then with poker, you know, playing poker tournaments, uh, it's kind of like being an actor. You're just kind of hoping to get lucky and get the, right. get the big get the big payoff. You know, good roll, good cards. And then playing poker in these cash games that they have, you know, the ones that you see on movies like Rounders and what like that. That's when the skill set really comes into play. Yeah, okay, you the know? bluffing, because, okay, like, okay, from... By the like way, me, I'm terrible at cards. I don't even really like cards, but... I can't play. I but, literally still don't... I don't know how to play poker. But I, I know, know but from hanging out with those guys and, you know, you know, tagging along with them in Vegas and all these things, I just sort of... I know how it all works, but I'm, I can't sit down Is the, the skill and the cards. bluffing and the acting and their style? Because, I mean, the other thing is luck. You get cards... You get all that cards, you get and cards. just knowing, like, uh, being a mathematician... You know? oh, what's coming up? They know what's coming up. Well, not really what's coming up. That would be like blackjack and table yeah. games, but just knowing okay. the odds of what they have. and Yeah. Was completely. they like a savant as a kid? Was he a smart guy? He was like, very smart. Typically, like with stereotype shit, like he was doing math. Very intelligent guy. Never studied, but was always uh, kind of had a golden tongue too. Could talk his uh, way out of anything. 
So I had the only dumb Asian friend ever. <laughs> Akira, Akira, Akira. We loved Akira, but Akira would like to do MMA and got hit in the head a lot. And Akira's parents bought a house in Encino to house Akira because he was a shame to the family in Japan. Oh, so Lord. they bought him a mansion in a in a in a scene to live in, and then we lived in it as a frat house. And he was he was a box of rocks, like he was the worst stereotype at all. I'm like, dude, you are you are not that you're terrible. I mean, in ways I got lucky, man. You know, anyone can, uh, you know, anyone can. Uh, you, you never know who you're, what cards you're gonna get dealt in life no. for whatever. So I was I was why lucky comedy? A good friend. Speaking about cards, why comedy? You know what? It, when did it, it start? sort of it sort of found me. I was in college. I had a buddy look at me and say, "Hey, man, you know everything you say is a joke. You should uh, <laughs> you no. should get on stage, man." <laughs> well, that, okay. Everything you say is a joke, bro. You must get I on stage. I think the way I really started, like, uh, uh, well, I mean, you know, for me, when I was like young, 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 my father, uh, my grandfather on the English side used to come over from England and tell jokes at the dinner table, and I think that's where I started developing like my timing. Mm. Just listening to that. And then I'd go to school and tell these jokes that I didn't know what they meant. Gotcha. And the friends didn't know what they meant, but they sounded good, so we would all just kind of laugh, you know? Yeah. And then as I got older, you know, I would, um, my friends would always push me towards like uh, maybe girls in a bar to go like break the ice because mm-hmm. they knew I would think of something to say. Damn, was yeah, ridiculous. come on, come on, talk to them. Come on, bro. You're yeah. going to just, nah, man. Come that, on. That was more nerve wracking than maybe like a f- f- uh, open mics when you oh, started yeah. out. You know? Women, when you bond with women, it's awkward. They're right there staring at you. You bond with a crowd, you can kind of hide. Uh, I try to be clever, but, you know, it, it worked a lot. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there you go. Worked enough. Worked enough. So wait, Grandpa was funny. I think comedy is generational. I think we have a funny family member who's close to us who inspired us because we saw what humor did at a really young age. My mom was really funny. I I do it as a profession. You're like, do you, do you think that helped at all? Like your grandfather told actual jokes. You were able to regurgitate them at an early age, and then it was able to grow from something. Yeah, and then uh, like you said, there's something uh, there's there's something inside of you, like uh, because my my mother genuinely funny but mm. just such an artist like could could make anything from england you know, english from england english dry wit just right right and then her father was an artist also i mean you know and um who ended up making a living at it in his later years but you know unbelievable painter and it's not till I got a little bit older and started learning more about like myself. You know, you sort of get to that point in life where some people know who they are early on. Some yeah. people happens later on. For me, it kind of happened later on. Started knowing who I am, and uh, later on. But it got to the point where I would walk into my mom's house and I'd look around and I'd be like, "Wow! Like, look at all the things she has that are just like that she can make." And do. and you start to realize that oh, I've got this brain that you know, used correctly can be an incredible thing, you know, and I can make a, I can, I can make a living. Well, it was great about family it. and genetics. You see things around, you're like, okay, it's possible. Like, you know, growing up in LA, I saw people, I, we had neighbors that were actors. Acting wasn't voodoo. Um, you saw your mother, you know, was an artist. She made things. You saw your grandfather made things and get paid for it. This isn't voodoo. I can work hard at an art and I can eventually make a way at it. Like, I think, you know, I, that's why I think when one is generational and two, when you when you do something like stand-up, which is an amazing career, like what, what you've chosen to do is something that other people dream of. I didn't really realize till 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 recently that, um, you know, and not to sound uh, braggadocious, but nah. just the, the facts are that to make a living doing stand-up comedy, the odds 
are astronomical. Astronomical. And that's not something I've come up with. That's something I've been I've been told. So I'm just kind of regurgitating no, those are facts. it for you. Two plus two is four. There's ten thousand active comics. They're not all making money. So if I'm ever having a bad day, that's one of the you know things that I remember. Mm-hmm. I'm working. Um, you know they say with they say with the acting side of things, and I think it might be true for comedy too. If there's anything you can think of that you would rather do, go do that. Yeah. And if you can't come up with anything, then you know, here you are. You're in the right place, right? So I'm not looking for other careers, or you know, I don't know if I'm going to fall into something in ten years from now. I have no idea, but well, I'm one hundred percent believe that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I can feel it. I just know. I just know. No, you are doing what you're meant to be here for. Right. Right. Do you think, uh, like I always think, passion versus talent. Do you think people should do what they're passionate about or do you think they should lean on what they're talented? Because I think it's two different things a lot of times. Um, do I don't it. know. I don't know the answer to that. All I know that, I know that there's a there's a there's a possibility that you do get to a point in your life where you look around, and uh, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing or whatever, that's when you might even, you might even feel a little bit like a fake. There's people mm. out there with a uh, you know families, beautiful house, yeah, three cars, uh, great income, and um, they're happy. just not happy. Something's something's missing, and maybe it's because you know. We're told a lot of times, just in this country, that you know, or maybe, I don't know, maybe go outside to work. of this country, go right? to college, go to college, right? Uh, find a job, get married, uh, preferably in your in your in your mid twenties, right? Uh, you know, have a kid by a minivan, two point five kids, have a minivan, live in the suburbs, cut your lawn, get a house, and you never really take time the American to, dream, it, it, which it is, it's the American dream, but yeah, but it might not be. Your dream. It's not everybody's dream. It turns into a nightmare for a lot of folks. We have friends. We have, fr- we have friends that constantly tell us, man, if I could only do what you do. And then I think we occasionally go, you know, I wouldn't mind having a, you know, maybe a quieter life in a house. And then we see them. We visit them for a week. And we go, holy fuck. I am really winning. That's their life. a lot better that's than their, they are. That's, that's their life. Yeah. You know, some people really just, and they don't really and I've been married twice, but yeah. Good for you. I mean, you know. But you know, <laughs> you, I mean, you know where you're at. You know what I mean? I'll you know where you're again. at. You're yeah. open about it. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Totally. I got to be. You know, do you know, like, uh, what went wrong? or? Actually, you- I do. The first one, I was too young. Uh, the second one, I only got married because I wanted a kid, and she got married because she wanted nice stuff. She, um, She's a great mom. Gotcha. Um, but uh, my first one, too young. Second one, we, we really had no business getting married. But we're great co-parents to our little beige baby. Gotcha. Sure. Well, you both love your kids, so we hey. both love our kid, and we love, her and we don't hate each other, so we're really lucky. I'm, I, I'm actually gonna, probably gonna do a podcast on co-parenting, comedy fitness. We'll do a podcast on co-parenting, and also time for a break. Comedy fitness is brought to you by Title Boxing Alpharetta. Title Boxing Alpharetta for all your fitness needs. Title Boxing Alpharetta. Go to Title Boxing Alpharetta. Title Boxing Club Alpharetta dot com. In fact. I teach occasionally there once a month with a comedy fitness kickboxing class, so come on out. Again, you go to titleboxingclubalpharetta.com, and you can get right to us. Now, bring it back. We're talking to Dan Mangini, and now Dan's been doing comedy for, my God, dude. I think 17 years. Yeah, jeez, because, I mean, when I started comedy in Atlanta, I'd only been doing comedy three years, and you were you and a guy named Scotty K were, like, the first two guys we saw at the punchline. 
Well, when I say you guys, me, uh, me and Drew were around in the ether. Drew and a Thomas. Of times. Drew right. Thomas is doing Very great now. Guy. He's been on the podcast. Um, but we were baby comics, and you guys were doing it. Well, you guys were doing it. You guys were, at, you guys were getting really good, real spots at the punchline. You, the owners of the punchline knew who the fuck you were. Like, that was a big deal. I remember. I remember. I remember going in there going, oh, fuck, these guys are doing it. Mm-hmm. And then it's great to, you know, eventually, you know, share the stage with you and go on. So I've seen it happen now. You you pretty much started the career in comedy in Atlanta. Did Atlanta, was that where you cut your chops? It was. It was, it was my base. I mean, the southeast, definitely. Uh, the Punchline was a great place to, uh, like you said, launch a career out of because uh, it's legendary. So yep. you put that on your resume, everybody knows who you are in the business. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you have people at the club vouching for you, uh, you know, like a Chris DePetta. Um, Manages Billy Gardell. Uh, you, know? you know, Marcy. Every, Marcy's legendary. Marcy's a great lady of the punchline. Fantastic. She's the only, uh, she's an original employee of the punchline. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that club now has had that name for 34, yeah. 35 years. Recently moved locations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm it, not happy with the new location, to be quite frank. I like the old one a lot better, but they had to move. But it's it, yeah, they like, had to, they had to move because yeah. um, well, if you look if you go look at it now, the city with the construction and stuff, they would have had no parking lot. You just can't have a business oh, yeah. without a parking no, lot. No, and everything but, Atlanta's like everything's a work live complex now. And right now, I don't even know if that current location. Um, I think there's an outside chance it might just be a temporary thing. I hope until, so. I hope they get their own brick and mortar again. I yeah, should, you know, right now they're on the they're attached to Landmark Diner, just so you guys know. And it's still a great club. They still get good names coming in. But, you know, I think for guys like me and Dan are real sentimental. That's our home club. That's what it is. It's the sentiment, you know. Yeah. And I miss the old log cabin. Right. You know, it used to look like it's out of a log cabin. But now, so comedy in Atlanta, torn with, torn with Foxworthy. I've done some shows with Foxworthy. You know? Um, you know, lucky enough to, you know, but in the early days, man, you know, it's like there's guys like uh, the amazing Jonathan would roll through town. Oh. That was like my first paid gig and um, at the punchline. And then, you know, you got your uh, guys like Bobby Slayton, Lewis Black, Dave Attell, um, Jim David, who I haven't seen in a while. But Jim you David's meet great. so many people. Who is best to you? And I, wow. now, you know, we all got our favorite. Who is best to you? I'm trying to think. It's really difficult. I get along with most people and I go into... Um, I go into every gig, if you will, with a um, a neutral mindset. No matter no matter what I've heard. Oh yeah, you hear terrible things, person. you hear good things, but you got to judge them for yourself, right? I think you know what I think for the point. What you know, you get to it like maybe there's a certain point in your career where you're just sort of starting out, and you look at somebody and you know you're about to work with a star. Yeah. Like this person's a legitimate star. Yeah. So it was for me. It was like Dave Attell, you know, uh, just who still comes to the punchline and he's awesome. He'll still do r- clubs and he's awesome. Right, just an unbelievable club comedian, yeah. right? So I'm sitting here maybe with you know 20 minutes of material, just getting my chops as an MC. I could switch it up here and there because at that point you're doing 10 and 15 minute sets, right? Yeah. And Dave Attell comes to town, and you know I know every show is going to be sold out, and it's just unbelievable. And um, I think the most I'd ever made in a week at that point in my career was like, you know, four hundred dollars. Was like the, you know what I'm saying? No, so exactly. you're like, which like, at the time was whopping too. By the way, oh my god, I made four hundred dollars. Oh yeah. yeah. So Dave Attell shows up, and uh, I'm in the green room and getting ready for my set, and I'm sitting there writing out a set list, and you know I didn't know, uh, you know what other comedians did to prepare if they just kind of knew their stuff but i'm just getting my mind right before i go on stage i'm writing out a set list on a sheet of paper there like like i like i used to do in the back of the green room and david tell walks in 
and I feel so amateurish. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here with a pen and a paper in my hand writing a set list. And he goes, hey, how you doing? I'm Dave. I'm like, I'm Dan. And then he pulls out a blank sheet of paper and starts writing a set list. Yep. And I'm like, oh, so we all have our own process, right? And um, during the second show or the late show that night, he called me back up on stage to oh. uh, do some shots with him. Nice. And, uh, you know, packed club. And he's like, hey. Pack up, he's, he's proceeded to kill. He, he destroys every time. And he stops in the middle of it, and he's like, hey, is Dan in here? Is Dan in here? And I'm in the back of the room. I'm like, yeah. He goes, hey, come up here and help me finish these shots. We're going to drink these things like we just solved a murder and shit. Right? So, just like that. Thing. You know, punchline, yeah. 300 people. Yeah. Late shows, probably like 1230 at night. I go up there. I drink the shots with him. The place goes crazy. And then Dave Attell goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> he goes, yeah, go ahead. Applaud. But where are you in three hours when I'm in my hotel room shitting blood? Where's the cheering then? <laughs> Just, so funny because it's so true. But it was an amazing experience because, like, you you learn right away that like you have these preconceived notions of like going up and just doing this tight show and then getting off stage, and then you start to realize, wait a minute, you know, the 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 more the better you get at this, you can break all these kind of rules. Yep. And do what you want, and you really get into this point where you're just hanging out with people that are in the room. And it becomes an you know a pretty yeah, amazing thing. That's why Attell is a good example. Of, you know, you bring it up. You know, you bring up like when I ask you, like who's best to you. I think he's a good person to say because Attell is. A, I always he's a club maestro. Like, oh, Attell's one of those guys. He won't be respected as much as he should be until unfortunately he's probably dead. People know he's great and he's had shows and he's funny, but I don't think people realize how freaking good he is because I don't think he's done the commercial milking for bad or good. Yeah, he knows he's a great club comedian. And he's when we say club that. comedian, we, yeah. we mean like, you know, he can, uh, you know, the R-rated dark stuff, and that's what he does. Yeah. And uh, it's not it's not what I do, but I can appreciate whatever it is you do, you know? If you're a great juggler, I can appreciate that you're a great juggler. No, we have respect as artists. It might not be my thing, but I understand why it's working, and I understand that you're doing it well. But here you know? I am, ba- basically, you know, basically trying to make my nut each month. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been like three weeks since I worked with Attell, and I get a phone call. I get a phone call, and I, I and uh, I think I'm on the road, and I pick it up, and he goes, "Dan." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Dave Attell," and I'm like, I'm "Like this guy, really?" I go, "Hey, man, what's going on?" He goes, "Hey, I'm about to go do the uh, the Daily Show with John Stewart." And I wanted to know if you did a joke about uh, the Amish conspiracy on the U.S. currency. And I'm like, I, okay. don't, know, I don't know what you're talking what about, dude. He goes, yeah. okay, man. I just wanted to make sure before I went on air. And then I learned from that, too, like, wow. You know? That's how his mind thinks. Yeah, well, I was just like, yeah. well, but I was like, wow. wow. What, what, uh, what respect like to um, what a purist. to make. Sh- he wanted to make sure his own thoughts yep were his own thoughts and not something he had uh, subconsciously picked up along the way. What was that again? An Amish conspiracy? Yeah, he said, confederacy? Yeah, he says, do you do you do a bit about the U.S. currency, like money and the Amish conspiracy? And I, I never saw the episode or heard the joke or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but that's his bit because no one does that bit. Like, I mean, but I... I was like, not I, me, dude. That is mad respect <laughs> to check because he, he was in his memory bank. I'm like, mm, did I hear this in the ether? What other comic would be smart enough and talented enough to pull this off? And you were on this very short list. He did not call me, even though we didn't work together, and say, Don, did you do that one 
about the U.S. He didn't. He know. He. Knew but what that, a great guy! Yeah, I mean, great. what a great guy! And then you yeah. hear things like that, and it's I'm a compliment like, too. I remember things like that, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to pay that forward in my yeah. career. You know, and, um, and little now, things, man. No, it is. It is little things. And now, okay, so you club and club and club, and you you out of the week, out of the year, you're doing clubs. What you're out of town. You know, you're on the road a lot. Well, those first ten, for those first ten years, I would say, yeah. I would say it was, uh, I would say, ninety five percent of my work was club work. So fifty two weeks in a year, you're out of town thirty, thirty five. Ooh, almost probably forty, 40 weeks nice. a year. Road and when you warrior. say forty weeks a year, you know, the most I was ever away from home at one point would be like two weeks. So I would, but I would go out, you know how it is. Some clubs were back then were like a Tuesday through Sunday. Those were like the really long gigs. But uh, just so, I mean, if your average listener isn't kind of like hip to what the schedule's like, you know, sometimes, uh, if you do a Friday, Saturday, you consider that a week. So, you know, there are weeks where you're just out for two or three days, but I would say those first eh, eight to 10 years, it's roughly, um, it was roughly about 40 40 plus weeks a year and I was glad to be doing it. I was glad no, you're, to be you're doing static. it. You're static. You're static to comedy is a great profession where you, you you can't wait to be screwed over. You like you're a host, you're like can't wait to be a feature doesn't make any money on the road. And then as soon as you start doing that, you're like oh, I can't be a, be an underpaid headliner. And then you watch your headliner you're like oh I can't wait to get the real money. And then you want a theater. That's what's great. There's always there's always a goalpost with comedy. That's true. You know. That's true. It's quite a journey, man. Oh, definitely. Now okay, now you've made the transition to uh now you're doing ships more. I you am. like shifts? I'm, I, I'm, I've been doing shifts for six years. I freaking love it. Um, I know it, people go, oh, at the hack, you're going out on the ships. I freaking love it. I like the challenge of it. I think it's good. Well, I'll 10 years again. ago, uh, I'm a, I mean, I'll just ballpark it here. 10 years yeah. ago, um, there were you know such things as what you would call like boat comics yes. you know guys that would come out here and i've heard it put this way like they would they would have like a drum roll or it was all just old school and hacky, hacky and and bad. And we would consider it bad we would bad right we would. We would. right so we. nobody 10 years ago there was a you know term boat comic boat yeah. comic boat comic now man the lineups out here are just fantastic yeah you know the um, the, the cruise lines, the, the people they've uh, hired are really, you know, in the know with yeah, the us. comedy We're real business. comics. We're, they're, and they're, the people that book us are, in, I mean, they're in the know. Yeah. They know the industry from, uh, from, from open mics to clubs to, you know, people that are doing theater. So I think I've seen, you know, you've got guys like uh, Chris Tucker that are coming out and doing special engagements in the theaters. Jim, Have you seen yeah, that? Jim Gaffigan's coming on the show. Jim ship. Gaffigan. You know, big guys. Uh, uh, you know, uh, oh, God. Uh, Kathy Griffin. Right. Is doing one, and there's more to come. Like, it's, right. it's not, it's not, it's not a gig that people don't want anymore. People want the gig now, and then also, I don't think there's the stigma. I think it just happened, though. I don't think there's that, the same ship boat stigma as there was. But I think it's recent, like last year, year and a half. No kidding. You're right about that. Yeah, you're right about that. Like just happened. Like we're fresh in it. We're, you're right we're, about we're, that. I'm just cut out. I'm cut out for the. Um, I'm cut out for the lifestyle, and what I mean by that is that when you say lifestyle, and you talk about comedy. Not a swinger. No. Yeah, some people think like, oh, you're a hookup guy. Yeah, or what, you're a big drinker. Blah 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 blah. When I say lifestyle, I mean like the balance of it all. Like, uh, I travel well. Uh, I like to be moving. I like to go place to place. I like to do comedy for a lot of diverse groups of people. It makes me better at what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, in a club, maybe you're asked to do uh, an hour 
at the most or an hour and 10 minutes in a headlining spot. And then out here, they say, hey, you know, we want you to divide your shows up. And that's no small task because what you're doing essentially is taking uh, your headlining set, which was, uh, let's say, this compared Traditional to like, 45 minutes. It's like a book that you wrote mm-hmm. over a beginning, middle, and end. Right. Arcs and now and they're places, saying, yeah. hey, cut that book up into three pieces and tell three different stories. So, you know, you come out here and um, it's another thing that gets your writing chops going. It makes you grow. It makes you evolve. And also the PG shows. I mean, you're not, you're not what we would call it by any means a dirty comic. No. But they're actual children are our PG shows. Right. And I'm lucky that that wasn't a tough transition for me because uh, on land, I get to do a lot of dates with a comedian named James Gregory, who's... Oh, funniest man in America. He consistently sells out these theaters that are, uh, you know, sometimes 1,300 seats and opening for him. You know, you go out there, and uh, it's a PG show, and there may be kids in the audience. So that was kind of nothing new for me. I also have a, uh, I've had a, been lucky to have a strong uh, career in the college market. Yeah, you know, college and, is great, corporate, and then corporate too. So, but yeah, your answer, man. I mean, I really, I like being out on the ships uh, because I meet people from all over the world and that's a little bit like my background you know having a mom from england a father from italy being born in bermuda but raised in america so not only do i feel like i fit in on stage but this the offstage thing jives with me yeah. too and a true american mutt too i mean it's good about right. I mean, that's what i love about my uh, our country i mean you know it really is a country of people who came from everywhere and try to do something the american dream is beautiful i mean without getting too pollyanna i mean that's the, that's that is what is great about us you know, the the opportunities and the, the fact that we all have a dream and that we have a shot. I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but you got a shot here. I mean, you know, a kid from Bermuda can become a comic. A fat kid from Encino could do a comedy fitness podcast. Speaking of which, it is time we do talk a little bit about fitness. You were talking about movement. And now, as far as comedy goes, our lifestyle is pretty transient. We're in and out. We're on Right now, we're on a ship. Well, but how do you feel about fitness? Like, do you, Do you enjoy working out? I do. I mean, it's an, I mean, it's a necessity. I'm very in tune with like how I feel, and um, I, I would say I got I got lucky about maybe six years ago. Um, I got a friend down in the Bahamas uh, that's been a lifelong friend, um, and uh, he was visiting me in Atlanta, and he's really into the fitness side of things hmm. and eating right and whatever. And to get around a buddy like that, it just cuts through. It gives you such a huge learning curve. It's always good to have a friend who's healthy. You don't have to dig into the science behind eating. You have Mm -hmm. someone telling you what's what. Mm -hmm. So once once I learned that you can go into a gym and work out unbelievably hard for a year straight. Kill it. But if you're not eating right. Doesn't make any sense. You're not gonna be. You're not gonna see any results. I mean, your your blood might be, you know, better or, or whatnot. You always benefit, but it's seventy thirty. You can eat. Uh, you you can work out like a maniac, but if you don't if you don't eat right, it all goes to naught. It really does seventy thirty. Um, that's why even the comp podcast seventy percent comedy, thirty percent fitness, because most of it is what you eat. But what do you like to do when you move? You look like you run. Well, uh, I don't. I don't run, but I do. I do do uh, the cardio on the uh, on the bikes. It's just easier on my uh, on my hips. Ah. Running's a little bit brutal for ah. me. I like cycling, but I also like doing uh, getting in there and uh, when I do reps, um, tell me if I'm right here. Instead of doing like heavy reps like eight times, I'll do a lighter rep twelve to fifteen times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've learned that if you're building um, muscle, you're 
you're gonna be your body's gonna be better at burning fat because muscles like energy and yeah muscle burns more fat and muscle burns more calories than anything and so basically the more muscle you have the more fat you burn and then more muscle more muscle more calories you can take in more efficient your metabolism is so as far as your light rep thing I think that's the way to go to prevent injuries and also sustain pretty healthy. Occasionally, you have to lift heavy because you have to challenge the muscles, but really only occasionally. Gotcha. I think all guys go through that beefcake phase for a while. Uh, uh, I want to be big, but for the most part, it's just about lifting right. and being relatively toned. And that's why body weight stuff works so well. I feel, you know, in our age, man, we're in our four, like, I don't want to lift all day. Mm-hmm. I don't want to lift heavy weights. I don't want to be buff. I'm not putting on an Abercrombie shirt. I just want to. I want to be healthy. I want to be able to pick up my kid. I want to be able to pick up my luggage. I mean, you know what? You know, you know what? My sign of being athletic is now. I got a thirty-pound carry-on. I want to be able to put that in the overhead without without making a face. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, that's where. I mean, I want to. I want to just be able to breathe and put it in because I see people freaking dying trying to put this carry-on up there, and I think they pack less. Yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to be as uh, healthy as I can for as long as I can. And I, you know, I want you know, look good, feel good, eat good. It all it all affects your skin. How many days a week? Do you work out. I would say um, most of the time three days, but sometimes two. And then I can feel when my body needs a break, and I just take it easy for uh, maybe a week or two. I'll do once oh, okay. a week. Yeah. You no, know. At, at our age, I mean, when I say our age, anybody over thirty, you got to take breaks. Uh, five days, for seven day cycle, five days on, two days off. And when you get to in your 40s, uh, five days on, two days off in a row. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, my thing is like, you know, you got to take that. You know, during the 48 hours, you're not eating chips and like not doing nothing. But maybe a little yoga, maybe a little therapy, maybe a massage, maybe a treatment. But minimum, don't lift, don't run, and just try to eat normal because we need those two days to recover. I'm going through the two-day cycle right now because you just feel it differently. But you feel great. If you take the time off, like sometimes my prescription to my clients is don't do anything. Now, the other thing, let me ask you this hmm. is, uh, you know, you can look at a book and it says, eat this, do this, do this, do this, eat this. But man, you've really got to find out what's right for you. Because if I start going on some kind of uh, high protein, low carb thing, my brain, my body, it'll, it'll, it'll shut down. It, it's not good. Like, yeah. Cause protein makes you even a sharper thinker than you already are, I would say. Protein helps for brain, but carbs, you need carbs for energy. They're, they're necessary exactly. things. It matters how you get it. And you, your Italian-English background, that's you what I was gonna say. house, you, right? That's what I was going to say. You also have to look at where your uh, ancestry comes from. Big time. Right? Yeah. So no, no, gen- Genetics matter. I'm sorry, they do. I mean, you're trapped. Look at your parents. Look at your grandparents. There's a good sign you can look like that. They're your grandparents. At least once a week, I will just kill a couple huge plates of uh, whole grain pasta. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. With, uh, you know, very lean ground beef and tomatoes and basil and all the good stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And I won't put, like, Parmesan cheese on it or anything like that. But uh, or, or I may a little bit. But I've noticed when I do that, I'm kind of just like anything I've lacked or missed out the whole week, I feel like I just fill my body and mm-hmm. replenish it and get it back to like a steady level. No, and that's level. why pastas, you know, pastas are good. They're, they're, they're carbs, they're filling. They're, they're filling. And it, I, again, food can be cultural. Like I tell a lot of people, typical American diet, if you're trying to t- cut down the carbs, potatoes, pastas, and bread, right? Right. If they're Asian, I have to add that in. It's not racist, it's just cultural. Oh, gotcha. If it's a typical American, no typical American is overeating rice. It's very rare. It comes occasionally. 
mm-hmm. you know, or it's in something. We're not overeating rice as a staple by any means. So I don't even mention, like, if you want to eat some rice, have some rice in a typical American diet. If they're Middle Eastern or if they're Asian, then I mention it. You know, uh, it, it is about culture. Like, I would never, like, I've had Italian-American clients, if I say, cut that, you know, stop doing pasta, I mean, they, okay, Don, I'll see you never again. I mean, you can't tell someone to give up something they totally love. If it's awful for them, then you have to ask them to do less of it, give them the science why it's terrible. Right. And, and you know, you, you, you can't be eating sugar all the time. Candy bars. The knowledge awesome. can over, uh, the knowledge can uh, overpower the craving. Well, you, you know, two plus two is four. Like, I, I really like donuts, but I did enough research on a donut to realize I'm never putting one of these in my They taste delicious, and I love Apple fritters are from heaven, but I just, the science based on them, like, you literally cannot make a worse thing to put in your body than, than a donut, a fried dough covered in sugar, fried process. Like, it's the worst. You literally couldn't invent something, but nope. I love them. The way I learned about uh, uh, food and really get it really it really was helpful. I had no idea what a macro calculator was, and um, I went online with this, uh, my friend from the Bahamas, and he put in all my weight and age and what my goals were, hmm. and it comes back and says you need this many grams of fat, this many grams of carbs, and this many grams of protein per day. And then I was like, well, what foods has what in it? So then I got an app called um, Lose It. Lose is a great app. I used to lose it. And I, like uh, I used it for about two weeks. Yep. You know, two you weeks. Scan two a, weeks. You scan a can of tuna and it mm-hmm. puts in there your daily for what. And you start to see what has what in it mm-hmm. and what's ridiculous. And you learn about food that way in conjunction with uh, glycemic index mm-hmm. and what time of day you're eating stuff. You know, if you're eating fruits in the morning and stuff, those are the sugars, good. But if you're eating them at night and then going straight to bed, eh, eh, you know, things no, like that, right? I, no, things like exactly. And I think that you have to take charge of your health. And a big part of that is the food. The movement part, you can get help. It's easier to do. The food, we all, all of us have to do some level of research in what we eat. We, we just have to. Like, for instance, what you did, which is what a lot of people should be doing or do right now, lose it. Lose it's a great app. For three to two weeks... You really fo- you laser focus on what you're eating. You write down what you're eating. You take pictures of what I have my clients take pictures of what they're eating and send it to me. But you sign you write down everything you've eaten. You document everything you put in. But you can only do it for three days or two weeks. It's not a way you can live your life. But after those three days, two weeks, you go back and review, and then you have a realistic, a realistic snapshot of how you are eating and the realistic changes you have to make because you don't even realize, oh, I'm getting too much sugar here. I know that. I still do it about twice a year. I, I go through a process where I, everything I put in my mouth, I document. And that's how I got, I got down to drinking less sodas because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, soda's not evil, but you don't need a lot of them. Um, uh, I'd rather drink regular soda over diet. I'd rather get the regular sugar than because that. yeah because that way your body knows what real sugar is what and how to react sugar. to it exactly and then diet is like synthetics or something and, and your body sugar, doesn't know what the hell your it is your glycemic it still still wants a spike but there's no sugar so it's weird so then you crave stuff so what happens with when people eat uh, fake sweeteners almost always later on they'll sneak some real sugar in because your body goes like hey what there's nothing here. Like, it gets shot up to be like, hey, hey, where's the sugar? There's no sugar. There's no sugar here. It makes you crave more, which is one of the reasons why people drink not one Diet Coke. They'll have like five or ten in a day. 
and then they'll probably like, maybe skip a meal, and then they'll pop a candy bar or some bread. And it's weird how you get your sugars in. A lot of times it's bread. A lot of times it's just carbs. A lot of times it's just people eating crackers. Your brain will go get It'll what get it, it wants. It'll, your it. body and brain will get what it needs to. Like, oh, no, I just ate a bunch of pretzels. They're low in fat because you hadn't, you hadn't been eating bread. Fat gets a bad rap, man. Fat gets a bad rap. It's good and bad fats, and most aren't awful. Fat means flavor. You need a little fat in your diet. Well, and I noticed that it calm. It calms my brain. It centers me. Huh. Like uh, it for mo- most, I would say maybe three, maybe three times a week, maybe four. I'll uh, I keep a uh, a bottle of uh, fish oil pills in my fridge because that way they don't smell. Yeah. And, uh, it's the way you should store about vitamins such omega three fatty acids need to be refrigerated. People they don't tell you that at the store. Before dinner, I'll swallow one, and then I'll eat. Put the food on top of it so that it doesn't come back up. Yeah, the burping, you know? the fish burp. Right. I don't want to. I don't want that. But I've noticed, man. Um, uh, about twenty minutes after you eat, I can feel just a. That's just I can feel the the. I guess it's the fats that are working in my, on my brain that just. Feel you like feel the cruise, fats working on your brain? I feel like I'm on cruise control. I like that. Yeah. And I've also heard that the reason a lot of people overeat is because it takes 20 minutes for your stomach to tell your brain yes. how much it's got in it. Yep. It takes so, 20 minutes to register that you're full. So most of us overeat because if we base it on how we how we feel. That's why portion size and control is, is important and eating frequently is important because it's hard not to overeat. If you were rewarded at night, it's hard not to do that because by the time you have one plate, you might has probably not been 20 minutes, and then we go for seconds, and then we realize, right. and by then you're committed to the overeating. You don't want to, you know, you want to you, you eat what you put on your plate, da-da-da, and sometimes you just, eyes, eyes are bigger than our stomach. Got good it. Good old fast. But you're right, 20 minutes. That's why it's good to pace your meals and time. But like the other night, me and Dan went to the steakhouse. We... Uh, a lovely evening of a steak and merriment. Uh, we did have company. Um, we did have company. We did have company. We did have company. We are single men on the road. But now we ate pretty good. That's a long meal with courses. Like, for instance, you know, every 20 minutes, we actually got a pretty much a new plate. They don't do it on purpose, just a long meal. But that is a good way to eat dinner. And then by the end of it, you know what you should do. I chose not to eat the dessert because I had two appetizers. But I, if I had just been... Appetizer, entree, then something sweet. I would have done that. But now that I think, now that I think about it, and I, I, I did have a dessert because I think yeah. if, I, if you shoot for perfect perfection, forget about it. No, you can't shoot for perfection. Right. But I'm just you know avoiding them. But yeah, um, but yeah, you know, special occasion or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of fun. But I did. Now that I think about it, yeah, you know, I walked out of there. I was not full. No, you're not disgusting. Not even close. No, not even close. Because to being every full. twenty minutes, and then we also made sensible choices. I mean, you know, light appetizers, a salad course. Don't overeat the bread. Overeat the bread, you're just chipping yourself anyway. You pay all this money for a meal, you're going to eat the bread? That's why they throw it at you. Here's some bread. Here's some bread. Stop eating our food. Broccoli's another thing I could feel working on my brain Broccoli's after I great. eat it. No, okay, now, you, you, I like how you say that, working on your brain. When you eat good food that you know is healthy and good for you, don't you feel better? Uh, I do. Like, literally, it's, yeah. psych- it's all psychological because, I mean, don't go wrong. We, we are running more efficiently. But I like how you went my brain because, like, there's certain times, like, when you're eating, you good in, good out. We're a car. High octane gasoline, broccoli, fish, lean meats, mm-hmm. veggies. When you put better stuff in, you work at a higher level. You're doing better than if it was Big Macs, donuts, and lollipops. Is it true that if you stay away from like refined sugars, that basically you're kind of um, 
if you starve your habits, then like you don't crave it as much anymore. Yes. Is that a thing? That, no, that that is a thing, and that but that it is a school of thought. It does work, but then there's always relapse involved because for most of us, unless when you go vegan or when you go extreme diet choices, they're just hard to maintain in our society, and the backslide can be rough. Like for instance, when vegans accidentally get some meat, I mean Ron White doesn't joke about it. Like his friend had broth, it was a bad day. It's a really bad day because their system can't handle it. Your system can't handle broth. It backed up broth. You're a man, love, man, love Ron White. But uh, that's what happens, and the same thing can happen. Like if you, if you, sugar's hard to cut out, and we need natural sugars, agave, nectars, other things. Uh-huh. When you cut it all out when you do get some. It might be it can be a rough day. So I always say everything in moderation. Like people say, oh, I don't give my kid any sugar. When he goes to that party and he gets some cake, no one's ever going to want to see your kid again. What's wrong with Zachary? Zachary's never had sugar. He just had a lollipop and some cake. Zachary's a wild man. Zachary's Mormon. He's beefs and butthead running around. Yeah, exactly. He's running around. He's doing weird stuff. He's highly inappropriate three-year-old. He's good in his chops. Well, hey, guys. uh, Comedy Fitness Podcast. We're signing off. We wanted to go check out dancomedy.com. That's amazing that you bought that. No, one, no other Dan has asked you to buy that? I, uh, That's amazing that he has DanComedy.com. That That's amazing. DanComedy.com. Big show coming up in the Detroit. Comedy Castle. Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle coming in July. This podcast is released in June. Guys, remember, in everything you do, laugh your ass off. Thanks a lot. Dan, appreciate it, man. Oh, thank you, man. Always a pleasure to see you again, man. All right, we got shows tonight. Peace.